0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. We're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 7, so if you brought a Bible, you can go ahead and get turning there. Um, and For those of you who maybe you haven't been here in a while, or this is your first time here, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, next, I just want to mention what we're doing, and we're currently in a series called Follow, where we're taking time every single week to study, identify, and apply the teachings of Jesus to our own life, uh, because that is one of the things that he has called us to do. And so we're being faithful by spending time in every single week doing just that. And more specifically, today we are actually in part of uh, his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, which many people, uh, theologians and scholars alike, would say is one of the greatest teachings on morality that exists today, even though it was written over 2,000 years ago or around 2,000 years ago. And the Sermon on the Mount is split into three distinct segments, so to speak, um, it, the The first part initially sort of deals with how we relate to God. Uh, the next portion relates on how we do deal with ourselves and acting in the right way. Uh, but this third part, which is where we 're at, is now beginning to talk about how we 're meant to relate to other people because this is a relational concept that we 're going to be speaking on, and more specifically. It is talking about how we relate to other people and their faults, which can be a difficult thing, I might add, if you've ever had some sort of conflict or dislike in your life. You know what it's like to deal with the stress, anxiety, uh, or anger that arises when you have to deal with another person and their faults. Uh, So we're going to have the privilege to learn about this a little bit from Jesus and to hear what he has to say about it. Uh, But before we get to the word, I want to go ahead and start with some prayer. Father, we thank you for this time set aside uh, to where we can come here distraction free just to seek what you have for us, Lord. uh, To learn more about the things that you desire for us, the things that were meant to be from the beginning, that we are just now uh, beginning to regain in our relationship with you, so that we may experience the life that you have intended from us from the beginning. Uh, Lord, we just ask today that you would help us to Set aside all of our previous notions on these topics, and you would help us to be a, a clean slate, to listen, and to be obedient, um, and to be humble and analyze ourselves um, in a truthful and honest way. And God, that you would just speak into our hearts in a way that causes transformation, God, life change as we walk out of here. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 7. We're starting at the very beginning, verse 1, um, and just an immediate point of background. This is Jesus speaking, so now you know who is speaking, and we're just going to jump right into it. I said it was immediate. Uh, So Matthew 7, 1 starts by saying, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I want to go ahead and stop there. There's more that we're going to read, but I want to stop right here and spend a little bit of time breaking down this verse and kind of getting an understanding of what it's talking about, uh, because, you may or may not know, this is one of the most well-known verses of the Bible, both by Christians and non-Christians, um, outside of, you know, like the typical John 3:16 and the like. This is one of the greatest known passages. And rightfully so, it's also one of the most misused, misunderstood, and misapplied passages in the Bible. Uh, in fact, when I was, um, I found out I was pre- preaching on this a few weeks ago, and I already had an idea of what I was going to speak about until I studied and read a bit more and realized I was wrong. Uh, so, so, maybe some of you are in that same boat, maybe some of you aren't, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm willing to humble myself and learn. That's okay. That's a thing I need to do. Um, But you probably have heard this phrase before in the context of somebody saying something along the lines of, using some paraphrasing, uh, you can't judge me, only God can judge me. You're not allowed to judge me, the Bible says so. It's right there, Matthew 1, do not judge, boom, you're not allowed to judge me, right? You've probably heard that before, maybe you've used that before, you know, I'm not going to judge anybody here if you've used it. Um, But this is typically how this phrase gets used, or how this verse gets quoted, Uh, Usually as a defense, when somebody is trying to criticize you for a decision or an action that you've made, um, and you clap back at them with this, because God's word is authority, so who are they to argue with God? But the problem here is that that is not exactly what this phrase is presenting us, Uh, because we see that it does have a command, right? When we first read this, the initial command that we understand is not to judge, which isn't wrong. However, what is wrong is that if you just read this on the surface without going in depth a little bit more, then you usually would believe that this means not to judge in general. But that's an issue because we know that throughout the Bible there are different verses that say that we are to judge. And if we who are Christians believe the Bible to be infallible and without error and we could see this blatant contradiction then by interpreting this as we should not judge at all with the other passages that mention some sort of judgment, uh, we would see that there's a problem there. And I think it's important to understand when you're interpreting Scripture, there are a few rules that you should go by. Um, And by no means am I going to give you all of them because there are a lot. But I'm going to just give you two simple ones uh, that help me in my study and uh, will help you as well, hopefully, as you're reading through the Bible. That is when you are interpreting Scripture, you need to make sure to do so within the surrounding context, in other words, who said it, when it was said, who it was said to and the verses around it, and also to study and identify it with Scripture as a whole, because these two things can drastically change how we um, dissect and understand a single verse. And we're actually going to do this together, so you get a little bit of an idea of how it works out. And So what I did was I took a few verses that the Bible had to say about judgment, and there are a lot of verses the Bible has to say about judgment, more than just this one, which is important then that we view this verse through the lens of all the other verses, Uh, So what I've done is I have compiled them together and I have found through this studying that there are a few portions of the Bible that say judgment is correct and a few portions that say judgment is not correct, which would seem like a contradiction until you dive in and realize that it is speaking about specific types of judgment. You know, because when you say that word, that's sort of a general word, it could mean anything. You know, judging whether something's good, judging whether you like somebody, judging as in criticizing, judging as in discerning. There's so many different uses for the word judge. So I've decided to put a little list together of scriptural references as to judgment in their proper context and judgment that the Bible deems to be sinful. So first I have a list for you of correct ways or ways that the Bible promotes judgment uh, with scriptural references. We're not going to dissect all of these because that would take forever, but I just want to give you a couple examples. So the first one is that the Bible tells us in Hebrews 5 that it is good to judge between what is good and evil. But there's a little caveat here, and that is that you're supposed to do so through a biblical lens, not your own. So it's not giving you the authority to judge whether or not something's good and something's bad, but to do so with what Scripture has to say about the subject. That's important. Don't, don't get lost with that. Um, also, it says that it is right that we judge sin in a confessed believer's life, which is interesting. We're going to get back to that a little bit more. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 5, that's a good um, chapter for you to write down and read through this week. Um, and then also, it is good for us to judge mercifully. Now, that is one, I believe, that gets lost pretty easily when we're talking about judgment, uh, to judge with mercy or to be lenient in our judging. Because in today's world, right, and they say we're supposed to judge quickly, judge harshly, and judge biasly. thats almost what it seems like we uh, do nowadays as a society. The moment somebody says one thing that doesn't agree with us, right? We want to take their head off, right? Uh, that's at least all the news that I'm reading and experiencing. That's what it looks like. But the Bible doesn't present it in that way. It says to judge mercifully and to show mercy and grace uh, when judging somebody in their actions. But there are also some wrong ways to judge. Also, some of them are even sinful ways to judge, the Bible says. The first one is to judge hypocritically. I don't think we need an example of that because we all know what it means to be a hypocrite. Uh, also, it says to not judge non-believers for their sin Uh, And I would love to preach a sermon sometime about how the church seems to have these two things backwards, where we spend so much time judging people outside of the church for the things they do wrong, and yet we let the sins inside the church run rampant. Uh, But that's for another day. Uh, We won't worry about that one. Uh, Next, it's uh, we shouldn't be judging somebody without all the facts, or another way to say that would be superficial judgment. Uh, I like to describe it as saying, judging too quickly. You know, I think we've all been in a situation like that where we have uh, laid judgment upon somebody before actually understanding everything that was going on. And the last one, which I don't know if it's so much to say that it's a wrong way to judge as it is like we can't judge like this, but to deliver final judgment, because we don't have that kind of authority. Only God has that kind of authority. So we may like to uh, think that we have the ability to condemn somebody and lay down a final judgment upon them, uh, but all along, you know, that carries absolutely no weight to it, because that's God's job, and we have no authority to do that. So if we take these, this list, and this is by no means uh, all-inclusive. There are many other passages about judgment in the Bible, but I didn't want to take forever just talking about them. Uh, but if we see here what scripture as a whole has to say about judgment, then we see that the verse that we had previously read in Matthew 7-1 is not just talking about judgment in general. Since it is saying, do not judge, chances are it's speaking about ways which we are not meant to judge. That's a I would say that's a proper inference of the passage. So, now that we have understood what the Bible as a whole has to say about judgment, I want to go to the next step, which is to study the verse within its immediate context. So, we've already spoken on part of that, right? It's Jesus speaking to a group of people in Matthew 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to go ahead and jump right back in where we left off to Matthew 7, verse 3, and just go on reading a little bit further. Jesus continues by saying, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. All right. So we've seen what the Bible as a whole has to say about judgment. And now we have the immediate context surrounding this verse. And as you can see now, Jesus isn't just talking about judgment in general. But he's talking about two specific types of judgment here, which I've listed for you to put them simply would be hypocritical judgment and superficial judgment. In other words, uh, judgment that is hypocritical and judgment that is too quick, or judgment without all the facts. That's what I mean when I say superficial judgment. Uh, Sorry if that's an incorrect use of the word, but that's the best one I could come up with. So that's what we're rolling with. And so it's important then to know what kind of judgment is being discussed here so that we interpret this passage correctly. Otherwise, it's easy to run off with all sorts of assumptions. Somebody who doesn't understand that might think that Christians are meant to be pacifists, always letting anything slide by because Jesus said not to judge, which isn't necessarily the case. However, there are proper ways to judge and there are wrong ways to judge. And if I'm being honest, and maybe some of you as well, we didn't always understand that and we don't always live that out correctly, which is why we are spending time today Uh, looking into this word and we're going to spend a little bit of time understanding the reasons why Jesus said not to judge in these ways because you know for some of us hopefully it would be good enough to say oh Jesus said don't do it so we don't do it right simple enough but maybe some of you could use a little bit of an explanation and I like to think that God is smarter than we give him credit for you know like he doesn't just say things to say things but he always has a great reason behind them because he is the perfect father who knows us and he understands how our actions have consequences, which is why a lot of his rules or his commands for us are directly so that we do not fall into the results and the consequences of our actions. So there are many reasons I could think of And there are about four or five in just this uh, little passage that we read about why we shouldn't judge these ways. But I just want to talk about two, because I don't want to keep you forever. Also, because these two are other-focused. And since we're kind of viewing this through the lens that this is a relational command, how we're meant to relate to other people, I think it would be better suited for a use of our time to look at it and how this judgment that we could be doing affects other people. And so the first one is so simple, uh, even though we may not think about it all the time, but the first reason I have for you is this, and that is that judging replaces loving. The moment you judge someone is the exact moment when you decide how much love you are going to show to that person. Now, you may not think that love is the proper word because, uh, you know, you say, oh, I don't, you know, like love everybody, but Uh, What I mean by that is I mean that when you make an initial judgment about somebody, especially the first time you meet them, typically that tends to dictate how much you desire to interact with that person, how much you want to have a relationship with that person. And it goes both ways. Maybe you meet somebody super awesome, and you're just like, man, that person is so cool, I just want to be their friend, it would make me feel so good if I was their friend because they're so sweet, right? Uh, So that's one way to judge somebody. Another way would be if you meet somebody and their initial, uh, your initial reaction or interaction with them is negative. Maybe you could say, "Oh, I don't like that person. I'm going to stay away. They're weird. They smell bad. Whatever it may be, right? You decide that you don't want to hang out with that person, and it is really hard to change the view you have of someone once you've already made up your mind about them, is it not? Uh, usually, it takes forced close quarters in relationship to change that view of them because if we had it our own way, once we have a negative view of somebody, we're just never going to talk to them again. But oftentimes we're in situations such as work or school where we can't avoid them because we're stuck around them for eight hours a day, five days a week, But if it was left up to ourselves, then we would have that ability just to avoid them. You know, maybe take the long way around and we see them down the hallway, so we decide to go back to where we were for a few more minutes and wait for them to leave. And then we can come out so we don't have to have that interaction. Uh, I want you to think maybe of a person in your life, because chances are a lot of us have one, where we do just that. Maybe you've you've known them for years. Maybe you just met them last week. Uh, but that internet or that um, initial interaction with them just left a bad taste in your mouth and you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to have a relationship with them. Um, I can think of a few people that I was convicted of while writing this sermon in general. I thought, oh yeah, I can see where I'm falling short here. Um, or maybe a better illustration would be Uh, When you're driving on the road and you have that driver that comes in and cuts you off and so you're getting a little angry at them and maybe you're tailing them a little close and you're like, oh, that person is so inconsiderate, what a jerk, how dare they cut me off, do they even know who I am? They have the authority to cut me off and so you're pulling up at lights and you're trying to stare them down in the rearview mirror like, oh, I'm going to make eye contact, they're going to feel so bad Um, and then you can keep on driving, keep on driving. Uh, it just so happens to be that that day is also Sunday, and you're on your way to church, and uh, this person pulls into the church parking lot ahead of you, right? And so you're like, oh, man, you know, this person's coming to church. I hope they know. I hope God judges them for what they've done to me. Uh, and then you walk into the sanctuary, and you, you make sure that you get a seat kind of towards the back with them, like out of the corner of your eyes so you can look at them. During worship, they're raising their hands, and you're just like, oh, I bet they didn't even ask God for forgiveness of what they did to me today. You know, all these things can run through our mind just because of one sour initial reaction. And until you get to know the person, you don't know if that's true or not, right? Like maybe it was me who cut you off because I'm blind, and I didn't mean to like, see you. You know, it, it very well could have been an accident. But when we judge somebody... Initially, it affects how we view them, and it is really hard to change that. And God knows this, which is part of the reason why he is giving us this command, because we are meant to have a relationship with people, and it's hard to love somebody that you don't like, isn't it? So why not start off the relationship by not not liking them? It's simple as that. Uh, It's just such a dangerous Thing to be quick to judge because it really is a difficult barrier to overcome. I have a wonderful example of how this works in the opposite of somebody who did a great job. And no, it's not me. It's from the Bible. And it's a guy named Paul, who many of us know. And in Acts chapter 16, I don't have the verses for you, so I'm story time right now. You can just listen and enjoy. Uh, in, in Acts 16, Paul and his buddy Silas are in a place called Philippi, where they are going there to preach the gospel and to plant a church, because that's what Paul did with his life when he had his encounter with Jesus. He was drastically changed from his murderous ways, like literally murderous. He killed people. He was killing Christians nonetheless. But this encounter with Jesus transformed him so much that he was willing to drop everything and to go all around the area and to preach the gospel and to plant new churches. Such a miraculous transformation. And so while they're in Philippi, they're performing some miracles. And undoubtedly, you know, we we could have seen this coming. There were people who were upset with them performing miracles. And so what they did was they had them thrown in jail. Because every time God's power is revealed, there's always direct opposition. And the light is always going to be, or the darkness is always going to try to snuff out the light and that is what happened to them so they ended up in jail and this jailer now the the bible mentions this jailer specifically so there must be some importance to him um, it says that the jailer shackled his ar- their arms and their legs to the wall. Um, in a few of the different translations, it was talking about how it was likely done very uncomfortably. So, like, imagine being shackled to a wall. That's already, you know, painful. I imagine. It's never happened to me. Uh, but, you know, like, imagine they, like, shackle you up in different ways, and one leg is shorter than the other. And, you know, it's probably not a great time in there. But Paul and Silas... Uh, being the great men of faith that they were, spent their time in prison singing, singing praises, praying to God. Um, And I can just imagine that all of the other people in jail thought they were complete lunatics that they would be doing this, right? Uh, But they had such faith in God that they understood that no matter how dire the circumstances, there is still praise to be given to him. What a wonderful example for us. And as they are doing this, in the middle of the night it says, God tore down the walls of the jail. And so if you can imagine the walls crumbling down, there's dust everywhere. It's just filling the room. And the jailer sees this and uh, you know, his immediate reaction is, I'm going to kill myself because my boss is going to be really mad. Like He must have had a horrible boss if that was his initial reaction. And so here's Paul and Silas now freed from their jail. Uh, they have the jailer who is so distraught over what has happened that he wants to kill himself. And Paul, who had every right to judge the jailer, to break out of jail, and to leave, decided that he wanted to interact with him instead. So Paul is the one who yells out to the jailer and says, don't be afraid, we're still here. You know, it's like, I don't know about prison escapes very well, or very much, but I don't think that's usually the best way to go about it. If you want to escape from prison, you don't alert the people. It's like, hey, by the way, we're still here. Uh, You want to go and get out of there quick, but... But Paul reaches out to this jailer and says, we're still here. And so he had every right to judge this person who who bound him up in shackles to the wall uncomfortably uh, in a way that would have made me miserable after like three seconds. Uh, But they were sitting there singing and uh, praying this whole time. And what happened next was that the jailer came up to Paul and he asked, what must I do to be saved? And Paul then led him to giving his life to the Lord. And not just him, but also his entire family, the Bible tells us. And it's just an amazing, amazing example of how Paul, who had every right to judge this jailer and to leave him, to condemn him to what he deserved, came back and instead was able to witness to him. And we saw another miracle take place that I would argue is maybe even greater of a miracle than the walls being broken down. You know, there's this principle that gets lost in the self-centered version of Christianity, which uh, I believe is a part of our own nature because as human beings we're very self-centered, if you haven't noticed. Uh, And if we view Christianity in that self-centered way, there's this idea or this principle that gets lost, and that is that your relationship with God isn't just about you. It's also about the five billion other people in this world who haven't given their lives to him. You know, God tasked us with this wonderful opportunity to take part in his kingdom and his grace to share the gospel. And he knows that when we spend our time judging people, it's hard to spend our time loving them. And this is why when Jesus came down to this earth, instead of condemning all the sinners who were around him doing sinful things, He spent time with them. He went to dinner with them. He hung out with them. He became their friends. He was even known as the friend of sinners. And because of this, because he didn't have this judgmental attitude towards them, he was able to share the gospel with them. And many of them became the disciples whom today, you know, we see all these miracles happening through them, um, these wonderful examples we have. Many of them started out as sinners. And I, don't, I wonder that, you know, how much of that view do we have in our own lives when we're condemning somebody for their action? When we, when we see somebody, you know, on the street asking for money and we're like, oh, you probably ended up there because it's your fault. Or when we hear somebody yelling in a public space, you know, cursing on their phone, whatever it may be, and we're like, oh, well, you're probably a horrible person, I don't want to talk to you. You know, I wonder how many of us let that self-centered view of not understanding that we are called to love the lost, get in our way. And I also wonder what it would look like if we stopped doing that and lived by the way that the Bible called us to. And my second reason, and this is the last reason, just in case you guys are watching your phones or anything, my second reason for you is that being hypocritical diminishes our witness. And the reason I put the other one first is because if we didn't understand that, then this one wouldn't really matter to us, right? You say, like, well, what does it matter about my witness? You know, We got other people in the world, they can do it. Uh, but we're all called to have a witness. And I think it's no mistake that Jesus references hypocritical judgment here. Um, I thought it was ironic. I was actually reading some polls and surveys before I got this Um, task to preach from, and I was reading some polls about like why people don't like Christians or the top reasons why people don't like Christians, uh, because if you're not aware, there are many people who don't. And as I was reading it, the common theme kept on popping up that the number one and number two reason why people dislike Christians or Christianity as a whole is because they view them as judgmental and hypocritical. It's ironic that we get to speak on the same things today, right? It tells us that many of us could take a little bit of time to learn and reflect in these areas. Because falling into one of these categories, what those surveys and polls are saying, is that essentially it destroys all credibility of our witness. If somebody sees you as hypocritical and judgmental and you come up to talk to them about God, there's a good chance they're not going to listen. And Jesus knows this as well. I mean, how would you respond if somebody you didn't know very well came up and started judging you and your marriage and, and how you do at your job and about the words that you spay, say and uh, talking about where you're going to spend the rest of your life after you die if you don't even believe in an afterlife? And you're like, well, how do you know all these things? You know? in, in fact, imagine this person is someone you don't know very well but you just saw them yesterday, and they were arguing with their spouse, and they were lying to their boss, and they were saying some cruel things to their coworker, and now they have the audacity to come up to you and tell you what you're doing wrong. You know this is a lot like the picture that Jesus is painting in his um, image here, talking about how uh, who are we to judge the speck in somebody else's eye when we have a plank in our own eye? First of all, imagine that, you know, like in person, a plank coming out of our eye. You know, like physically it wouldn't even work. People talk about this as one of the few jokes that Jesus told. Uh, I like to think that he told a lot of jokes. They were just very sarcastic because I'm sarcastic. So I understood them. But, see, this is just a natural order. This isn't just Christians that we're talking about. Like People tend to avoid anybody who's judgmental. Don't they? I mean, if, if you know someone who's judgmental, maybe you have a friend in your friend's group from high school that you're still hanging around with, uh, or college. Um, I realize I am young. Uh, and, and they're very judgmental, and so you do your best to try to stay away from them because all you're going to hear about is how you're doing things wrong or this or that. You know, people tend to stay away from people like that. So it's an important idea, then, if we want to be effective witnesses, for the kingdom, to spend time working on our own lives before we go around condemning others for their faults. And if you want a biblical example of this, look no further than uh, our usual punching bag, the Pharisees, who lived a life that Jesus deemed to be um, immoral and ethical and sinful, and yet what did they do? They spent a majority of their time condemning other people for their sins. So they lived this out, because on the outside they may have looked great, uh, but we know after deep and careful study through the Bible, it might not even take that much study, that they weren't, in fact, nearly as good as they said they were. And yet they spent so much time running around judging and criticizing other people for their faults. So this passage is more than just a call not to judge, but it also is a call to live in a better moral way, both internally and externally, to do our best to remove the hypocrisy from our witness. Now, yes, I understand this, and and maybe you were going to bring this up in your mind argument with me right now. It's like, well, you know, Jesus says we're never going to be perfect, so does that mean we can't ever judge anybody? It's like, well, that's not necessarily the case. And as we talked about, it's important, first of all, to filter yourself through what the Bible says we should judge by and to do our best to avoid the ways that it says judgment are simple. But I think it's important to note, if you're, if you're thinking that fact right now, that even if we have it all figured out, it's not our place to play God, and to deliver that judgment, even Jesus, who had all the authority in the world, who came down to earth, he didn't even do that, right? When he spent times with sinners, you know, the, the only people he really condemned were the Pharisees, for the most part, um, and a little bit of his disciples, because has some hard love teaching, uh, but... He didn't spend time condemning the sinners that he hung out with. You know? He didn't go to dinner parties with them just to say, oh, well, I think you should change this, and I think you should change that, and you're a horrible person, and you know, nobody's going to like you if you keep doing those things. No, he went there to share the love of God with them. And he went there to make friends with them and to build relationships with them and to show them the truth in a loving, merciful way. And so in light of that, there's one last truth that I want to speak on this matter, uh, and that is that no matter how good you are when based on the earth's standards, when you now compare yourself to the Lord's standards, you realize that we all fall short, right? We, we tend to judge ourselves by the way the earth Uh, lays out before us the right way to judge and the wrong way to judge. So I can look at people and say, I am better than you, hands down. I am worse than you, hands down. And we start to make our judgments based upon other people, when in reality we should be focusing on what the Lord has to say. We should be judging by the Lord's standards. And when we do that honestly, we realize that I need God as much as you, as much as Billy Graham, as much as anybody in this entire world needs God. We all need him the same. And so my closing thoughts for you today, uh, since I know we covered a good amount of stuff and maybe you already forgot some of the things I was talking about, which is why we record this and you can listen to it later. Fun fact. Or you could take notes. Uh, you know, either one. Uh, I want to leave you with just a simple summation of today, that you can take with you as a reminder next time you find yourselves in that situation where maybe you want to judge somebody for what they have done and it's going to change your view of them or your desire to be around them. In that little piece of advice, is this: it is to give grace to everyone, especially those you don't like. You know, we're human beings, we're flawed. Sometimes we're going to make judgments initially, and it's not going to be good. But if we can remember in our hearts to give grace to everybody, even though we have already judged them to be somebody you don't want to be around, it can help break through the relational barriers that that judgment has caused. So I want to say, instead of being hypocritical, let's be humble. And instead of being judgmental, let's be compassionate. And instead of putting others down, let's build each other up in Christ just as he has done for us.